series in the book of First Samuel. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, those of you who have one sitting around. And I think we have some um, in the back. Um, let me explain you why. There is no way I can put three chapters worth of Scripture in the bulletin. And I've encouraged you before to go home and read over the chapters that I cover or Pastor Giorgio has covered. And um, so that you can get the whole picture. Again, it's, 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 it's impossible for me to give you the whole picture, even though we attempt to give you a well-rounded picture so you can understand what the Lord is saying. We're going to look at chapter 10 today in your bulletin. But what I want you to see is that in um, that we are covering chapters 9 to chapter 11 today. Now, let me give you some prep work. Chapter 8, last week, we read about and learned about Israel asking for a king. And in asking for a king, they were rejecting God in this fact, not that God didn't want them to eventually have a king, an anointed one, one of God's choosing, but they did not seek him for a king. They didn't seek a king to have God be their end, but they looked at what the other nations had. And so God warned them that this would not be good, but he grants their wish so that maybe through this human miscue they would come to see and know him. Consequently, in chapter 9, we see Samuel, God's former leader now, uh, the judge, the prophet Samuel, Israel's outgoing leader. Um, he finds Saul, the one who is going to be Israel's new king. He finds Saul while Saul is out looking for donkeys. And he's told, hey, this is what the Lord is going to do. And he actually takes out the oil flask and he ordains him, anoints him to be the future king of Israel. Then in chapter 10, we see Saul get these... Uh, when someone becomes king, he gets little places of confirmation. So the first thing that happens is that God calls him through Samuel. The second thing that happens is Samuel actually tells him and then anoints him. The third thing that happens is in chapter 10, these group of prophets are going by prophesying, and God's spirit falls upon Saul, and he begins to prophesy too. So we see God saying, this is the one whom I want you to give them. This is the one I want them to have by their request. Then in chapter 10, he gets presented to the people. And by visual, con- just by seeing him and Samuel bring him out, he gets this voice of confidence. Yes, this is who we want. Then the final, the, the, next to the last thing that happens in chapter 11, he goes out and he defeats a group of Ammonites. And this is confirmation that he is empowered by God to win, to be the king. And so the people are like, he's won, he's defeated, he's led us, and we've been victorious. Let's go back and now let's coronate him as king. This is what happens in chapters 8, I mean 9 through 11. Now in your bulletin, we're going to read in chapter 10, this is when he gets the vote of confidence of the people having already been... Put oil, oil's already been put on his head. The, the prophecy, he's already had the spirit come upon him. And now he is being presented before the people. This is going to be Israel's first king. 1 Samuel 10th chapter, verses 17 through 25 in your bulletin. Later, Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mitzvah. And he gave them this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. 
I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have done so much for you, you have rejected me and said, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel called the tribal leaders together before the Lord and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord and the family of the Metrites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is his equal. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of the king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. This is the word of God. You and I can have all the success in the world. We can be members of all sorts of associations and have accomplishments galore. But because of the innate issues of loneliness and failure and fear and meaninglessness and maybe mediocrity or rejection, we still feel the draw or the drive, the need to have a hero. We, we have this drive to find a star, to, to lead and drive us somewhere, to have someone possibly lead us out of who and where we are into who and where we want or should be. We want someone to take us to the promised land, to be a friend, no, to be a, a, a super friend, to, to be a constant friend, an infallible friend, while being at the same time an understanding friend, an ultra-human. Normal and everyday stuff, but with one word or call or concern or issue able to transform into a protector or a comforter or a crusader? What are we searching for? What do our hearts truly long for? What were God's people searching for? And what exactly are we and were they getting and given by God in their star search? I believe like them, we look to and long for someone who is like us. That is like us in some good, comforting ways. And, and Saul certainly fits the bill. Now, I will tell you, when we first encounter Saul in chapter 9, we see that his is not some incredible story. Some incredible meaning something like Samuel's. You know, some story of being, of into being coming into being uphill with with snow with no shoes on and and no one was around and he had to melt the snow to stay alive no Saul was a son of a rich man he was just normal his life would not make a good after school special or a lifetime movie so his story thus far was fairly regular when we meet the future king of Israel in chapter 9, he is looking for some lost donkeys with a servant, and we quickly realize that he may not have been treated all that special by his father. He wasn't even great in his father's eyes. Now, I want you to understand what the writer is doing here. The future king of Israel is looking for donkeys, the donkeys of a rich man. He's doing small work. It's like his daddy is saying, look, 
you big lug because he's real tall, you know. Just, just get out of my hair. Just, you're, I don't need you to help me run the estate. I don't need you to help me balance the books. I don't need you to go to this important business meeting. Just, I, I have some lost donkeys. You take a servant. Now, he doesn't just send the servant out. I mean, this man probably had many servants. He sends his son out with a servant. Initially, who Saul is, seems to fill the need to have someone who would understand, who has experienced some of what the people of God in the humanity would have experienced. But Saul, like them and us, is a product of his humanity. He is fallen. He's weak, which is human. Apart from being a man struggling with purpose and along with it, some sort of lack from his lack of love from his parents, Saul does not come across as very bright or at this point, a very good leader. It's taken him almost three days to find these donkeys. And it is a servant that keeps coming up with the bright ideas. And he finally says, let's go see Samuel. Let's go see this prophet and he'll tell us where the donkeys are. Hey, now that's a good idea. And so the, but Saul's like, wait, we don't have any money. I've run out of money. We spent it all on food. I can see Samuel going and, and having a little bit of money. And, and they're on this trip to find these donkeys. And he, you know, the McDonald's, uh, like extra value meals. He's the type that doesn't think ahead. And so he supersizes it. And then he gets an apple pie. And then he gets, and he's like, like a little kid. I'm out of money now. What do we do? And the servant says, I've got money. I'll pay the profit. He's clueless. In addition to this, Saul is portrayed as an insecure person. When told by Samuel that he would be the next leader of Israel, this is what he says in verse 20 and 21. It says here in chapter 9, And don't worry about those donkeys, this is what Samuel's talking, that were lost three days ago, for they have been found, and I am here to tell you and your fam- tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Saul replied, but I'm only from Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? Then when he is ordained by, by Samuel to be the king of Israel, um, it, it's amazing what happens. His uncle comes and looks for him, and what does he say? His uncle says, where have you been? And all these things have happened, and he says, this guy told me where the donkeys are. Let's go home. He doesn't tell him he's been ordained. Incredibly insecure. And then these amazing signs happen. He, he, he starts to, to prophesy. And then when he is affirmed by the people and, and presented, this is your future king, look what happens in verse 20 through 23. So Samuel called the tribal leaders together before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And so I'm, I'm going to skip down. But when they looked for him, he saw had disappeared. So they asked the Lord where he is. And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and they brought him out. And he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. What is God saying? Just by the story, what is he saying to his people and to us? What lesson is he preparing us to learn? And we'll see what this insecurity and issue Saul has is going to present itself in coming, I mean, down the road. He's telling us that our heroes and our chosen star or stars will not be able to connect, completely connect or save us. 
that our star will not be able to completely figure us out, that our self-search for a star will end their humanity, possibly lick their own wounds and react based on their insecurities and personal desires. Human beings, societies, organizations, countries, families can never raise up in and up and from themselves someone or someones who will connect with them completely and perfectly. We're always looking for the candidate for the people. Never completely for the people. I think about the fact that Giorgio and I, we, we, we lead you every week. And personally, I lead you as a man who is highly insecure. And some of you think, man, that's good because he can understand our own issues too. I understand we like to call the fact that I told you that I'm insecure, we like to call that authentic. And that may be attractive to some, but it has this bad side to it. Because what it means is I really may use you and let you down or not look for you or in your face or hear your story because as a human leader, I can't always and I won't and sometimes I'm too afraid and unwilling to be hurt and counted on for your sake all and every time. I'm susceptible to even forget about you because I'm too busy sometimes remembering myself. I'm human. Which means as a product of the human stuff, I am racked with the human mess too. Here's the irony. We are too human in our weaknesses and flaws to always be counted on to be humane. To always be counted on to have a relationship. To always be counted on to be honest all the time. To always be counted on to connect with who we are and who others are. No one can do this for us. Neither can we make them be it for us. That person, a group of people, when we hear about this people and relationships that, that we have around us and we hear this about them, it really cuts deep. You know, people that we are joined at the hip with in friendship or family ties or causes, that person, a group of people that we trust in. You know, it's almost like that group that you trust in when you, when you go to these little group building activities and they say, close your eyes and fall. It's that kind of relationship that if they reject you, it will hurt you. It'll crush you. If they don't see you, if they don't know you, a hi, a look, a nod, and a rejection of such would be devastating to you. Do you know friendships and memberships and associations behind human leaders are the most dangerous relationships in the world? Because the personal people we believe knows and sees us best, who we have entrusted to see us eye to eye, will eventually look to themselves and fail to treat us with the respect to your sameness, will fail to truly respect your connection with them. I know just in this room, there is story after story of believing in the humanity of humanity, entrusting someone or a group of people to treat you as they would want to be treated and they have fallen short. They failed and faulted. And the inevitable, the thing that God promises from a king of their choosing, a king or person they have and we have entrusted to be and do more than they should, disappointment is result. Disappointment in yourself 
in your relationships and believe, even believing so foolishly and putting all of your hope into being known in the hands and responsibility of another human being in a way and for reasons God has not designed for you to. The bottom will fall out. When we look to and long for another person to know us in the way only God can, God declares to his people, I will give you a king of your choosing, but be warned and reminded that the human empathy you seek and find and trust in for yourself outside of me will crush you and let you down. Turn and trust in me to be the center and the glue and the foundation in bringing what you long for and want so desperately to pass. I think, though, even if some of us having been jaded and disillusioned by trusting in human beings, there's this other thing that may snare us as it did the Israelites in this story. It's looking and longing for someone who is unlike us. We look and long for someone who is superior. When we first meet Saul in chapter 9, this is what verse 2 says about him. His son, Kish's son, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And when he's presented to the people in chapter 10, verse 23, this is what it says. So they found him and brought him out and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is his equal. And the people shouted, long live the king. The intro to Saul and his unveiling should reveal the attraction. Saul's appearance was a superior thing. And and when I read it, we we should sort of be cynical about it. It's written for us to be. You know, it's like, wow, this guy's so handsome and he's so tall. That's why I voted for him. You know, I hear stories, man, I I like him. I'm going to vote for that president. He just looks good. He just looks right. I like the way his suits look. I I, I like the way his hair looks. And and, and so we have this this appearance, his looks, his appearance, they reflect upon us. It it is a face and body for what they wanted to be. They wanted to be head and shoulders above the other nations. And they thought, if we just have somebody that looks like that, then maybe we will be like that. How foolish. But how true this is to who we are. Appearances and looks lead us to follow based on some sort of presupposed superiority and thus ability to save and rescue and lead. But there's more here that is less sarcastic. There's a more serious element to his superiority. You see, the king was chosen by God to reveal the foolishness of people in picking what appears to be good for them instead of trusting in God to be the one the one who has proven to be good to and for them and, and, and trusting him to choose the one who would lead them. So God chose him to reveal the folly of his people in the sincere placing and call and gifting of Saul to do what he must as a leader of God's people. So we get some superior things happening to Saul to confirm his leadership. We've said it before. First, he's ordained by Samuel. God speaks to Samuel. 
Then in chapter 10, something strange and other world happens. He supernaturally begins to prophesy with the other prophets. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us the Spirit of God came upon him. Then in chapter 11, after being acclaimed by the people as a king, the popular vote, he miraculously leads a charge and defeats the Ammonites. Saul, from his ordination to his confirmation to his affirmation and then to his coronation, was lifted up before the people as a leader, as one specially gifted and called to lead. Someone who had no power and authority in and of himself, that is. Someone whom God decided to specially bless to do his work, to be put in the right place at the right time by God. And the chosen purpose and hope is not one that is or should be that of the people that are so enamored by his looks and his gifts in his calling. But he is called and ordained and gifted for God's purpose, which is not to be the king of God's choosing and good pleasure, but to be a king gifted and called to bring judgment and correction and show God's people their folly. Now, why is this important? Because like God's people, we can so follow so hard after those that appear and are gifted and are called to make them the super in our lives and world, to make them the savior of our lives, to shine for us, to go and shine and emulate what we can, to be all that we could never be. And God is saying gifts are just that. They're giving for a purpose that is not yours to latch on to for salvation. That calling is just that. It simply means being put in the right place at the right time by God. What is this draw behind our modern day stars? They are gifted and successful that's it gifted and good at with the and successful we even like to say well that's not true they work hard well don't you know that resolve and ability and the heart to work hard is a gift that helps people develop their talents here's the point someone's giftings and calling do not necessarily mean that they're going to lift you out of your condition or issue or dilemma. And we foolishly, time after time, look for a superhuman, a person to lift us and love us, to transcend us from where we are, to save us from the failure and mediocrity of who we are. Some of you hang in company that is not you. They're richer. They may be smarter. They're ethnically more diverse. And you are a small town trying to be uptown. And you are doing it, looking to their gifts and place and calling and life to lift you, to make you feel like a winner, to see, save you from feeling like you're not that much. Some of us have even made heroes out of family members, our husbands and wives, looking ultimately to their being good at something or, or, or rightly looking to the calling of their leadership as husband or parent. And yet we've crossed the line, looking to them to be and make you all that you could never be, to take you to that neighborhood, to take you to that house, to put you in that position, looking that, to them to make your life worth something. Some have dated and married someone because of their extreme beauty. See them and accept them as human superstars. 
that lead and point and make us long for the supernova, that make us long for the one who was from the beginning, the reasonable and personal Big Bang, the one all stars came from seeing them because God's leading in the right light will lend itself to what is right and good and true about and for the stars among us. Not instead a king, but in route. A king that indicates Christ the king. I've loved watching, like some of you, American Idol and Star Search. We love to find and make stars, and we love the power of choosing the one who looks like us or is pleasing to our musical palates. God has not, however, in his lordship, called us to make stars to go on an idle search. He's sent a star. The scripture tells us that this star Christ was not made. He was not chosen by us, but one that from the beginning, from eternity past, chose and was sent to call us to be touched by God, to be lifted in our humanity. In Christ, it is a star that searches for us. It is the star that seeks us. He is the star that finds us, the one that saves us and calls us his own. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we need not go on a futile star search, but you've sent Christ seeking us out searching out us and giving us grace. Lord, we thank you that we can't have friendships and leaders because ultimately we see you as sitting on a throne. We see you as making it right. Help us this week to look to you, the king, in the light of all the stars around us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.